Welcome to First Formation, spiritual exercise for Christian soldiers looking to get the fuck up and pray. Join Pew Pew HQ every weekday morning to hear the good news through grunts and with grunts in the unity of the Holy Spirit as one church forever and ever. Fall in. Psalm 89 I will sing of your steadfast love, O Lord, forever. With my mouth I will proclaim your faithfulness to all generations. I declare that your steadfast love is established forever. Your faithfulness is as firm as the heavens. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I sworn to my servant David. I will establish your descendants forever and build your throne for all generations. Then you spoke in a vision to your faithful one and said, I set the crown on one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found my servant David. With my holy oil I have anointed him. My hand shall always remain with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and steadfast love shall be with him and in my name his horn shall be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea, and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Second Samuel chapter 6, verses 1-11 through 11. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. David and all the people with him set out and went to from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. They carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went in front of the ark. David and all the house of Israel were dancing before the Lord with all their might, with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him there because he reached out his hand to the ark, and he died there beside the ark of God. David was angry because the Lord had burst forth with an outburst upon Uzzah, so that the place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of the Lord that day. He said, How can the ark of of the Lord come into my care? So David was unwilling to take care of the of the ark of, take the ark of the Lord into his care in the city of David. Instead, David took it to the house of Obed Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed Edom, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed Edom and all his household. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son, whom he, had, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the worlds. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being, and he sustains all things by his powerful word. When he had made purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, 
having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more which is more excellent than theirs. Good morning and welcome to the third Thursday of Advent. This is Brother Logan Isaac broadcasting from Iamsville, Maryland. This morning's readings come to us from Psalm 89, uh, 2 Samuel 6, and Hebrews 1. Um, the the story is uh, from the Old Testament, the Old Testament reading, is one that I think confounds a lot of people. Um, it certainly does me. Um, essentially, David is has been king. He's quite prosperous. And it's a good thing, he thinks, to bring the Ark of the Covenant from the tabernacle, which had they had kept all the way back uh, from when they were wandering in the desert, to bring God, or the Ark, rather, in from the tabernacle up to Jerusalem or Bethlehem. Um, and as they're doing so, they, you know, they pack it up just like they would have old. And one of the oxen on the way shakes and one of the priest's sons, uh, I'm pretty sure he's a Levite, but I'd have to double check. They reach out to like catch the ark from falling, which seems like it would be a you know big deal. But God doesn't like the fact that the son reached out, touched the ark, and touched God. Like that's a big no-no, basically. Um, and given the kind of God I think we find in the Bible, a God who um, you know has you know relationships with people rather than you know some absentee landlord, um, you think it would be good. Like it's not such a big deal for. You know, one of your covenant partners to touch the, you know, your house, basically. Um, but apparently it's not. It's not okay. Um, and so you use a struck dead. And so in the middle of this, this dancing and merriment, uh, somebody, you know, dies because they've, they've gone too far. Um, and they eventually carry them up, carry the ark not all the way to uh, Bethlehem because David is now afraid of God. Um, and they'll, they'll eventually, you know, build the temple, Solomon built the temple and put the ark there. And, um, but you know, it's startling to see this, this, um, you know, kind of departure or contrast between, uh, the, the dancing and, and rejoicing that they're doing and then have someone die right there because they kind of got, you know, maybe lost in the moment perhaps. And the, um, and part of that is a warning about like, you know, you can go too far in anger, but you can also go too far in joy, you know, too far in anger and, you know, hurt someone and kill them. Um, but you can also go too far in joy and violate boundaries. Um, you know, maybe if we want to give some meaning to this, but, uh, part of it, it also is, um, you know, God has never been touched. You know, this is the Ark of the Covenant rested in the Holy of Holies and the, the high priest only went in there once a year. Like, it's a big deal. Um, and so this is, you know, on, on the one hand, a, a kind of vulnerability, um, but not the kind of vulnerability that is good. Like, God is is holy and perfect. Um, and God does have relationships with us, um, you know, personal, deep relationships with us. Um, but... It's not the kind of vulnerability that we might have with another person. 
um, you know, you're not going to have sex with God, right? That's not only is that impossible, but you know, historically, what the Israelites thought and what you know the early church uh, believed is like God is so pure that in in some way, our bodies, our, our livelihoods, our souls simply cannot fathom, we cannot take it. That if um, that if we were to you know touch God or see God, that we would die. Um, this is a case of Isaiah during his call story in Isaiah six, and he he's in this temple in the temple, um, and he he thinks he sees God. He sees God's basically coattails, and he says, "Oh, woe is me! I come from a land of people of unclean lips. I'm going to die because I've seen God." God's like, no, no, here, I'm going to make you clean. Um, and so there's this um, historic, you know, aversion to, you know, getting too close to perfection, basically. And I think that's part of what this story is driving home is, um, you know, that it's it's just the way it is. Like, that is God. You cannot, there, there are necessary boundaries. Um, and maybe he did. He touched God, and he got like electrocuted, or you know, his body was imbued with too much everything, and he, you know, passed out and died. I don't know, um, but I do think that part of it is the warning, and like, I think um, in in our world, it's typical to think of you know going too far in anger and lashing out or or actually hurting someone, but it's also possible to go too far in joy. Um, or happiness, or indulgence, and lose sight of the fact that there are necessary boundaries. Um, you know, it's, it's okay to be angry, but we don't hurt people. You know, it's what we tell our kids. And it's okay to be happy, but still, don't hurt people. Don't hurt yourself. Um, and you can read into that, like, drugs or something, I don't know. But, like, um, we can violate uh, the goodness of creation and one another by being too angry and taking our, our anger too far, but also by being joyful and taking that too far. Um, so I think, um, you know, the um, last night, I was up kind of late, um, but I was going through all these passages in the New Testament that have soldiers in them, and it's actually a shit ton. Um, and I think what makes me think of going too far in anger and going too far in joy is like in our world, uh, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's much more common to hear, you know, don't be angry, you know, don't, which is like, I see that you're angry. I don't like it. I don't want you to hurt someone. Um, which is, you know, fine. Usually when you're angry, you don't do things that like build other people up, usually do things that hurt people. Um, but the fact is, you can also do it by being by by not restraining yourself when you are you know you're self indulging. You know you can eat too much chocolate. You can eat you know you can um, take things too far. And I say that because or I say the thing last night not only because I'm tired of shit, um, but when you act like I was a good couple of hours. I was going through. I, I had a conversation earlier in the morning. With a, a patristic scholar, so early church, and it was for the the Grunt God book. And I was he was he's the only person alive that has an entry in the string of books on Christian attitudes on war. And that conversation just kind of fired me up because I disagree with him, but it was a good conversation. 
And as it typically happens when I disagree strongly with someone, I'll start really digging into my Bible. So I, I sat on, on my computer on Bible Gateway and um, went through relatively systematically the, the Gospels and Acts for where soldiers turn up. And there's, they're all over Acts, like basically the entire end of Acts from 20, 21 to 28. It's like a series of Paul being protected by soldiers. Um, and so I, it, it, it dawns on me like, I'll bet money, and this is one of the things I'm probably going to look at next, I'll bet money that of the soldiers that appear uh, just in the Gospels and Acts, um, that there are far more instances, uh, you know, we'll say words dedicated, um, far more uh, places where they are protecting Christians than they're attacking or or whatever. Um, and they never engage in war um, in what we assume is their basic function, their primary function, or what pacifists assume, I should say. Um, and one of the things that I noticed I put on Twitter was, you know, when you read the when you actually read the Bible, um, I always had it in my mind that a soldier gives Jesus uh, sour wine at the end of a sponge on a branch of hyssop. Um, and it's, I'd have to look this up, but the the common interpretation of that is it's like, you know, kind of insulting or it's dirty and defiling. Not only is the dirty, the sour wine not good for you and it would it would be bitter, but also that's how Romans used to wipe their ass they would take a sponge on a stick and wipe their ass with it. So I always thought it was a soldier that put the sponge out, but the Gospels, only one of the four Gospels say that. Luke says that it's a soldier that does it. Um, uh, Matthew has bystander, Mark has someone, and then John has, like, they, and it's sur- or it's, it follows this passage where he's talking about Mary and the beloved disciple. And so the they is just... Uh, it's probably the soldiers, but it's they instead of being direct. And John is very unapologetic about not liking the soldiers. Luke, on the other hand, where all many of the other Gospels will say the soldiers crucified them, the soldiers did this, the soldiers you know, beat him. Luke just uses they, but then says it's the soldier who put the, the wine, the sour wine up to him. So um, I find that fact, little things like that where our assumptions are one thing, but when you get into it, and you're looking with the eye of a marginalized community or a minority community, it begins to look a little bit different. Um, and so if the Bible is our starting point, then we have to rethink what we think about the military. Like, not only is are the Gospels silent about the military profession in terms of, like, you know, uh, John didn't condemn the soldiers who came and asked him what they should do. Um, Jesus doesn't say, now stop being a soldier to the uh, to uh, yeah, Captain Marvel, Centurion of Great Faith. Um, but And so it's silent on that. But it's also repeatedly made clear that what soldiers do more than anything else in the Gospels and Acts is protect the protect and ensure justice. Like Pilate is like, you, you tell me you want me to kill him, but I don't see any reason to. Uh, and that happens again and again in late Acts where... Paul is put up on charges by the council, and these Roman governors, even um, Herod Agrippa, is like, look, he didn't do anything wrong. I'm not going to put him to death. So over and over and over again, soldiers and military leaders are have the opportunity to be corrupt, and they don't, or they aren't. So I think it's, I just, it kept me up at night thinking about how I think we've got the Bible very wrong. 
and I think it's being led by assumptions that that don't stem from the text. Um, so anyway, I'm going to try and put that up on the PPHQ website. It's having some issues, but hopefully I'll resolve them soon. Um, but read your Bibles. Don't let other people read them for you and tell you what, you know, they'll tell you what they think the Bible says. And that's a problem because we all have biases. And if we don't acknowledge our biases, we will misread the Bible and pass it off as, as gospel, you know, to, to borrow a phrase. A prayer for those who influence public opinion from the Book of Common Prayer. Almighty God, you proclaim your truth in every age by many voices. Direct in our time, we pray, those who speak where many listen and write what many read, that they may do their part in making the heart of this people wise, its mind sound, and its will righteous. To the honor of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for falling into First Formation, where Pew Pew HQ shares morning prayers for the humble, hardy folk caught in the crosshairs of God and country. If you like what you've heard, you can participate in one of the three following ways. First, you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash pewpewhq. You can contribute as little as a dollar a month, and you can cancel at any time if I ever piss you off. Second, you can become a co-host by recording a lectionary reading for a future episode. Instructions will be provided, and you don't have to be a grunt to collaborate with Pew Pew HQ in this or any way. Finally, you can also record and send prayer requests of a minute or less. Prayers can be included in the episode, read anonymously if you wish, or kept private for me to pray for off-air. So there you have it, three ways to participate in First Formation. I hope you'll continue to listen, even if I can't convince you to jump in. This has been Brother Logan Isaac, always faithful, always family. Semper Familia.